Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. Today we will hear from our lead pastor, Dave Carroll, in a message in Mark chapter 15 entitled Champion, Victory and Death. Let's join in now. The New Testament, right a little bit more than halfway in your Bible. And so, uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 16 through 47, and today we're in the second week of our uh, series, Champion, and uh, Jesus Christ is a champion, and, and he is victorious, and this is one of the reasons why Easter attendance swells, because there's something about the Easter story, there's something about Jesus that, that is just champion-like, he's a winner, and, and you know what, when, when people think about Jesus being raised from the dead, you know, during this passion season, people start to go, hmm, I, I think there's something to this, and here's the deal. If we can catch, oh, you know what? It would be help if I put this on, wouldn't it? Yeah, there you go. How about that? You know, it's this leading worship and speaking thing. Uh, we'll be done with that soon, and uh, you'll be glad. And you know what the funny thing is? Uh, you could tell uh, that we're launching a church because, uh, without question, every single week we've had a service. We've had four monthly preview services, and we've had, uh, this is our second weekly service. We started in November in the service deal. And uh, every single week, without question, almost our entire family has, has gotten sick. And uh, every time I get sick, I'm well today, so if you come, you're not going to get anything. I'm well past it. But it always hits my voice. And so, uh, ironically, I have to lead worship and speak. But that's okay. You understand me, don't you? Okay, good. I understand you, and you don't even have a microphone. So it works. It works out. But Jesus is a champion. And, uh, and so <coughs> uh, oftentimes in life, when we talk about being victorious over death, um, there are two choices in life a lot of times, aren't there? Uh, the number two is a very important uh, number. Uh, how about when you're hungry at lunch and you only have five bucks? The two are Burger King or McDonald's. My, my parents used to uh, trick us and call it BK Steakhouse to make it sound a little bit more upscale, you know? Uh, how about um, a state tax or a sales tax? Which one do you like? How about Grizz or Bobcats, right? The, the number two, which one? Any Grizz fans in the house? I, you know, I have to admit, and don't hate me and don't leave the church, but I'm... I think I picked the Grizz, okay, all right, because um, if you don't know this, my wife, Amy, and I, my wife is doing children's ministry, and my, our four boys, we have uh, Aiden, Drew, Dax, and Briggs, they're nine, eight, three, and one, and uh, we moved from South Florida back in June of 2012 to come just to launch this church, and, uh, and look what God has done already, isn't this crazy, and we're not even a week old yet, yeah, we can praise the Lord for that, um, and, and we've decided to pick the Grizz because um, they have the most players in jail, and I, I and and I, I'm a, I'm a Miami Hurricanes fan, and typically that translates into lots of winning. So I'm going to go that way, and, and that's what's going to happen. Uh, how about other choices? Hillary or Sarah. Oh, by the way, we, we never see her. That's my wife, Amy, back there in the blue. Everybody say hi to Amy. <coughs> this is the first time I think she's been able to step foot in service, so that's, uh, that's a good thing. Hillary or Sarah, uh, what about retirement savings or a vacation to Disney World, right? There's a choice. Spider-Man or Batman, there's a choice. Facebook or actually talking to a person, right? Yeah. How about that? There's a choice. Uh, Marco or Rubio, I mean Polo, okay? So how about that? Or the Heights or the West End, the Billings Mall or the Billings Mall, all right? I don't know. Um, how about homeschool or public school? Or uh, what about deodorant or smelling like a guy? You know, every, you have that, those two choices every day. What about a Yamaha or a PV for you musicians in the room? Um, what about Tiger Woods or Phil Mickelson, MMA or WWF? It all comes down to two choices, doesn't it? 
most of the time, whenever you're determined to, to go a direction in life. And today, when we talk about champion, when we talk about Jesus being the champion, there are two choices, and there's a scripture that we're, we're, I'm going to tell them to you in a second. They're in your blanks in the program, and if you don't uh, have a, you should have a pen or something on your seat, but in your program on the back, uh, there are some blanks you could fill out today to follow along with the message, but there's a scripture that I want us to say out loud. This scripture matters to the two choices that the Bible says we have when, when we can either choose being a champion in Christ or something else, uh, choosing the world. And so let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 together. It's up on the screen for you today. One, two, three, go. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. You see, Scripture is very clear that we have two choices in this life. There are two roads to walk down. And, and when it comes to death, uh, you know, the, the bad news is, it's, uh, you know, we're near 100% death ratio outside of Jesus, right? Um, now, you have two hopes in the Bible. Uh, the Bible mentions Enoch and Elijah. <laughs> and those are two guys the Bible says uh, they were walking, and then, you know, they kind of were, were no more. They didn't die. They just went up to be with the Lord. And so you have those two hopes. But for the rest of us, um, since those two guys, um, you know, everybody dies. And, and so when it comes to death, here's your blanks. We can either be victorious or we can be a victim of death. We can either be vic victorious or a victim. And you say, wow, that's interesting. Usually when you die, you just die and that's it. You lay six feet under and it's over. I, I, you know, I've never thought of it in terms of there was anything that could even be accomplished in death. But here's the deal. Jesus accomplished so much in death. And today, you know what, I, as much as I want to tilt over to the resurrection because it's coming and I get excited, today we're going to look at how Jesus was victorious and how he accomplished so much when he died. And, and, and you know what, being a victim of death, I want to take a second and just talk to you about this before we read our scripture. And when we read the scripture today, I want to warn you, it's going to take just a little extra time to read the scripture. It's a little longer passage. And uh, hey, turn to your neighbor and, right now and say, that's okay, we're reading the Bible. Just say it. All right, so when we get there, that's okay. We're reading the Bible. All right, you know what? Everybody falls victim to death, physical death. But how about in this life, how many of us have experienced a time where we've actually died? You know, we're living, we're breathing, but inside, whoo, man, you experienced death. It was like game over. Yeah, I have to wake up and do this day again. I can't believe it. And you see, life without Christ, life without our champion, um, it, it results in us being a victim of death, you see, because um, the Bible says apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Apart from Christ, this life is meaningless. It has no purpose. And, and that's why when, when trials hit, last week we had um, Jesus, our champion, victory in trials. When trials hit and we get pressed and we get crushed and, and, and life beats us down and breaks us apart, um, if we're apart from our champion, we become a victim of death and we end up hurting, and we end up bitter, and we end up with all the things that tear us down, don't we? But here's the good news. The victory in Christ is amazing. Check this out. When Amelia Earhart died, 
It advanced women in aviation, right? And it advanced women being able to really take on some of the dreams that, that God had placed in their heart and to do amazing things. When Martin Luther King died, when Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. died, it advanced racial reconciliation, didn't it? And that was a great thing. But here's the deal. You know, those are one sentence, but there's not enough words. You know, there's a whole book that God inspired written about, uh, that, that was written about. There's not enough words to say when Jesus died, what he accomplished. You see, he defeated death. He advanced all of heaven when he died. He, he had the angels stand and say, whoa, glory, I give you praise, I give you honor. You know what, he, his death, here we are, thousands of years away from it. And it's as if he died to this morning, we're in church and we're, we're worshiping God. His death meant so much. And, and, and it means eternity. It means being satisfied in this life. Do you understand the depth of, of when Jesus died on the cross, the, the depth of the victory that he accomplished? It is huge. And so today, as we encounter the scripture here in Mark chapter 15 and verse 16, and I told you, we're going to read just a little bit. And, uh, you know, my voice is a little crackly. And so you get kind of, you know, it's kind of like you're listening to an eight track. How does that sound? <coughs> Um, Mark chapter 15 and verse 16, we pick it up right here where Pilate, who wants to gratify the crowd, he releases Barabbas to them and he delivers Jesus after he had scourged him and beat him to be crucified. And verse 16 says this, Mark 15, verse 16. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called the Praetorium and they called together the whole garrison and they clothed him with purple a royal color, and they twisted a crown of thorns. Put yourself in the story. Think about this, like you're watching Jesus. They twisted a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head and began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him, and bowing the knee, they worshiped him. And they had mocked him. They took the purple off of him, put his clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Then they compelled a certain man. Can you imagine being this man? Here's Jesus, who had, done, who had been healing people, who had been teaching in the temple, who had done all these things, and you're standing there watching all this happen. Imagine if you were Simon, they compelled a certain man, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. By the way, if you're wondering if Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was the first time a guy was named Rufus, no, it's right here in Mark 15. If you didn't laugh, it's because you're not a child of the 80s. All right, so... Here it goes. As he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross, and they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which is translated place of the skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he didn't take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour and they crucified him. It's about 9 a.m. And the inscription above his accusation was written above, and it said this, the king of the Jews. Now, this was not something that Pilate did to mock him. He did this actually to put a little pressure on the Jewish leaders of the day who, who, who were trying to have Jesus crucified, and Pilate was like, this guy's done nothing wrong, but he was kind of playing Switzerland there. He's kind of in, in the middle, and and he just said, here, you have him. That's what's wrong with him. He's the king of the Jews. In verse 27, it says, with him, 
they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with transgressors. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, the perfect, pure, sinless Jesus was numbered with transgressors. Put yourself in the story and stay connected in verse 29. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, ah, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests, also mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember we talked last week about Jesus feeling the trials. This is what happened. Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, look, he is calling for Elijah. Then some ran and filled a sponge with sour wine. Hey, thanks a lot, right? You're, you're nailed up to a cross. A person runs up with some sour wine. Thanks a whole lot. Look at, the, look at what's happening to Jesus. And offered it to him to drink saying, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus Christ cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. And we're almost done reading here. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion, this is important, this guy we're going to focus on right here. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, this is huge. He said, truly, this man was what? Son of God. There were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the less, and the, and the um, Joseph, and the Salome, and all who followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee. And many other women came up to him, uh, came up with him to Jerusalem. Today, as we focus in on Jesus as our victorious champion, I want to give you three clues about how Jesus might be tugging at your heart to join him in victory. You ready for these three clues? And, and it, cent- it centers around the centurion, okay? Uh, there in verse 39. Um, this centurion was an interesting guy. And there are two people notated in the, in the, account, uh, notated in the account of Scripture who actually um, came to faith in Christ during this season, during this Passion Week. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, they were one, the thief on the cross, right? The th- remember when Jesus turned? And he said, today, you what? Will be with me in paradise. That's what he said. And then the second one is this centurion. This centurion, Christian tradition, um, church historians have it that this guy came to faith in Christ this day. Uh, this centurion doing, and, and, and he was a guy that was going through his normal routine. All right, and we'll talk about that in a second. But here is the first clue that Jesus is tugging at your heart to join him in victory. And you ready? Here it is. In verse 27 and 28, um, we talked about the thief on the cross. It's the unmistakable activity, and this is a blank, write it down. The unmistakable activity of God and the people around you. Have you ever seen God at work in the people around you? And, and you wondered, what's, what's, what's happening? Why, why, 
Why are they kind of different? Why are they connecting to God in a different way than what I am? Why does it seem like they're getting a little closer? And, and you know what? When God is working in the people's um, lives around you, here's a great truth. He is working in whose life? Yours and mine. Um, and, and you know, we don't often recognize what other people are doing, but if we stop and look, it's important. It's like when I was in uh, third grade, I played golf. Did anybody play golf when you were real young? Um, my grandma made sure to put me in golf because I think she wanted me to be an awesome uh, golf player when I was 60 years old and competing with all my friends, you know? And so, so uh, I remember one day I was, I was playing golf, and uh, rule number one of golf, if you didn't know this, this is the most important rule, don't stand in front of the person hitting the ball. All right? How do you like that rule? <clears throat> yeah, if you haven't heard this rule, uh, it's a very important one. And so I remember getting up uh, to the tee one day, and uh, it was a long hole. I remember that much. And there was this little girl. I couldn't have been second, third grade. This little girl decided to stand about uh, 15 yards forward and just at an angle. Well, me, being the amazing golfer that I was, okay, um, you know, I should have driven it straight down the fairway, had a beautiful shot. I, I didn't see her. She was kind of a little bit out of my view. I went, I, I, I swung the club, and would you know it, that golf ball went a, on a line drive straight and hit her right between the eyes, okay? And, and it was one of those, like, out-of-a-movie scene deals where she, get hits between, she get hit between the eyes, and all of a sudden, wham, she falls back. And I'm thinking, oh, no. Have I killed someone with a golf club and a golf ball? I mean, I really was. I was little thinking, have I done this? And, and she ended up okay. She had a, a nice knot on her head uh, to remind her not to stand in front of people hitting golf balls, um, you know? Um, <coughs> yeah, she sure did. But, but you want to know what? Um, some of us, um, you know, we're around uh, other people, and it's so crazy that we wouldn't know the activity of God. We wouldn't be sensitive to the activity of God around us, it, even if it was a golf ball and it hit us to the head. It's so funny. When people get into spiritual things, it's kind of like, whoa, 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 that's, that, that's your life. This is my life. Let's, um, let's back off a little bit here. But here, I want to tell you this day. This centurion was a bad dude, okay? This centurion, like if you're just thinking about like a modern-day American police officer, you got this guy all wrong, okay? I remember a mission trip to Haiti. It was a little bit more like that. I remember on my mission trip to Haiti, I step off the plane, I get in the gas station, and there's a dude with a shotgun standing right there, and I'm like, I just want to buy a pack of gum, you know? That's all I want. And, and you know, we, we kind of have um, a, a watered-down version of what a real guard is, but this guy was a bad dude, and I got to tell you, um, there's no question in my mind that he saw what happened. His job was to be up at the cross and, and to see the, the thief on the left and the thief on the right and, and to see Jesus turn and say, today you will be with me in paradise. And I guarantee you the activity of God and the people around him was part of the way that Jesus was victorious in death because even in his death, he was active in that thief's heart. And I bet you anything that that centurion looked up at the cross and went, Oh, man, something is not the same as every other crucifixion that I've been standing in front of. Something is not, it, it just, this is a different type of day, okay? And here's the second clue, all right? The second clue is that, <coughs> is when God is tangibly making a way for reconciliation in your life when God is tangibly making a way for reconciliation in your life. Everybody look at verse 38 really quickly. And then we're going we're gonna to turn a little bit, uh, just a couple pages backwards to Matthew chapter 27. But in verse 38, this is what happened. 
Now, you got to think about this centurion for a second. Put yourself in his shoes. He's in front of the cross. It says the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, I chose the book of Mark, and there are four accounts of this, um, but I chose the book of Mark because it was the shortest to read to you out loud. Okay, but I do want you to check out what really happened while this centurion was standing in front of the cross. Everybody turn to Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, yeah, Matthew chapter 27 and verse 51. That's a few pages backwards. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 51. This is what happened. This is the full description of the temple (laughs) uh, veil being torn. This would freak me out. All right, how many of you like being in earthquakes? Have you, has, has anybody ever been in an earthquake? It's, it's crazy. I haven't been in an earthquake, but I've been in the middle of a Category 5 hurricane. And uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting when things start moving around. <coughs> so this is what happens. Check this out. Then behold, verse, this is Matthew 27, verse 51. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This was the temple, uh, the, the veil where uh, the priest used to go in, and only one guy could go in and actually um, kind of be in the presence of God, representative for the whole nation of Israel. So this was a pretty important veil, right? Um, And it was torn in two, representing that when Jesus died, there was a physical barrier removed so that, we could, so that we could be reconciled to Jesus, so that we could have a relationship with him. Isn't that a great thing? That we no longer have to depend on one person to go behind a, a curtain <laughs> to get to Jesus. This is amazing. The physical, the tangible evidence that God is saying, I'm your champion in my death. And, it, and so here's what happens. And put yourself there with the centurion. Now, it says, and the earthquake." And the rock split. Can you imagine being that centurion looking around going, uh, okay, it was really different when he said that the guy next to him was going to paradise with him. Now it just gets freaky. And are you ready for this? And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Whoa, whoa. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many It said, now verse 54, now check this out. This is where we are in that story back in Mark. So when the centurion and those with him who were were guarding Jesus saw the quake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly saying what? Truly, this was the son of God. Y'all, if you're not getting what happened in Jesus' death, there was supernatural stuff going on here. This wasn't just, oh, he died, and boom. You're, you're talking about all of creation was, was rattling. And I want to ask you, when is the last time that God has shaken and rattled your life to get your attention? And here's the next question, and the more important one. Did you respond? Or did you just say, I'll let this be another day? Because here's the tragedy. Scripture records two people confessing out loud, truly this was the Son of God, and maybe a few people with the centurion, but think about the crowds that were there that had all this happening around them, and what did they do? They missed it. They missed it. They became a victim in death. They missed the victory. There was this huge victory happening in front of them. It's almost like watching the Olympics, you know, in the 100-meter the dash, and somebody goes across, and the crowd's roaring, except for it's like somebody crossed the 100-meter dash, and, all, and, no one, and everybody's just sitting there going, Hmm. Hmm. They didn't get the victory 
in the death of Jesus. They didn't get how he was conquering sin. They didn't get that he was making a way for their payment of sin to to be made right, to be paid for, and so that they wouldn't have to do it. It's amazing. And here's the deal. Jesus wants to remove the barriers in your life the same way he tore the, the veil that day. He wants to tear down the pride in your life. How many of us have dealt with pride where, where God has maybe taken away a job, he's taken away money, something you thought you had in the bank, something you were so certain of, and it went, <sighs> and your reaction was just to sit there and go, hmm, man, God must not like me. And the truth is that God loves you so, so, so much, enough to remove the barriers, enough to physically take away the the pain of this life, enough to, to grab a hold of your heart and say, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to love you more than you know. I love you more than you know. Will you just turn around and surrender? Will you just do it? Be a person who recognizes when Jesus is tangibly making a way for reconciliation in your life, not just with him, but also with who? Because the great commandment says, love God, love others. Here's the third clue. This is huge. It's when the ordinary becomes (coughs) extraordinary. It's when the ordinary becomes extraordinary. Let me walk you through the centurion. The centurion was a guy. Remember I told you he was a bad dude? The centurion was a guy that would be put in, in, in charge of 100 Roman soldiers, okay? 100 Roman soldiers. And, and the centurion, he wouldn't get put there because he was soft. This is a person that could go to crucifixion after crucifixion after crucifixion after crucifixion, and he would be stone cold. He could see hundreds, if not thousands of people die right in front of him. He could take the hammer and the nail and drive it in, and he would be okay. And he would be okay. Isn't that crazy to think of? This guy was an executioner. And all of a sudden, there was something where this ordinary task became extraordinary. And, and here's why. I, here's why I think this happened. Look at verse 39. It says, So when the centurion who stood opposite to him saw that Jesus cried out the way he did when he said, It is finished. And when he breathed his last, let's read this together. What did the centurion say? Truly, this man was the son of God. And you may ask, Dave, how does the ordinary of this life, how does the everyday stuff that happens, how does God make this extraordinary? How does he do it? The same way he did that day with the centurion. You see, the centurion stopped what he was doing for a second, paid attention to the people around him. He he paid attention to the physical surroundings, but here's the most important thing. He stopped at the cross, and he turned his gaze on Jesus. And today, I want to encourage you because there's so much. There's more than I can say. Only God can say it. There's so much that happens when you stop and turn your gaze on Jesus.
Jesus, I have decided to give you this. Really? Yeah. You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions, but you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean, this feels great. <laughs> Kathleen, guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. <laughs> oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah. I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to oh. go with me? No. <laughs> no? Why? Uh, what I mean is, uh, I don't know. Um, so let me check my schedule, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, give me a call. Okay. Kat, what's going on? What do you mean? Well, I'm kind of one cheek in it here. Look, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You wanted me to sit here, right? Well, of course. And whoever sits here makes all the decisions? Right. So what's the problem? Uh, there's not a problem. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Really, please, here, sit down. As long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay. okay. So, let's start over. Okay. All right. Kat, I noticed that you've been losing your temper a lot lately. Right. So, okay, Jesus, you know what? I know what you're going to say, but, um, see, you, do? you don't know the whole situation, you know? Oh, I, well, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision. Yes, of course, but I have a lot going on right now. <laughs> well, I know you're under a lot of pressure. Pressure? Jesus, you don't understand pressure, okay? This I, isn't working, Kat. What? We can't both sit on the seat. It's either me or it's you. Okay, I know. You know, I just, I didn't think it was going to be this hard, but here, just take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You have to give it to me. Okay, here. Kathleen, make a choice. I can't. You just did. See, after you've gazed at the cross, it all comes down to one question to determine one of the two choices, victory or victim. 
The question is, who's going to lead? Who is going to lead? This determines whether you walk in the victory of Christ or whether you fall victim to your own sin and death. You see, remember the two options? Here's the two options. That day that Jesus died, you know what? His sacrifice on the cross was good enough to cover the sins of the world. But here's the deal. God says, you have to have your faith placed in him. You have to confess him as a son of God. You have to turn, you have to repent. And so that means that there are two options. Basically, when you're born, here's the deal. You're born essentially on the cross yourself. You are essentially born on the cross. And this story almost means nothing to you. Why? Because apart from Christ, you have to pay for the sin. God demands justice. He demands a payment for sin. And if you are not choosing Christ as the payment, and you are not walking in that, not as, a, not as some, some magic thing where I said that and now I, I'm okay, but I'm saying, are you following Christ? You see, you, God's justice demands the payment. And so here's your blank. Being a victim of death means self-payment for sin. And the Bible says that that payment is that you will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Wow, that's huge. That is humongous. Self-payment, do you get this? You have, you have, there's this two options. You're either gonna pay or here's the deal. The second one is being victorious through Christ's death means substitutionary payment for sin. You see, when, when you come, just like the centurion did, you gaze at Christ and, and you confess with your mouth, Romans tells us, that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And, and you turn from the evil ways of this world and you turn to, to Christ. What happens is, is that the, the penalty that you are supposed to pay for the sin that you have is now no longer your responsibility. And the Bible says that victorious Jesus, his death counts in your place for the sin in this life. Isn't that an amazing thing today? Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. You can find out more about our church online at elevationbillings.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.